Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Matt Gurney. Hello. Columnist and editor at the National Post, formerly of Global News. Formerly, yeah, I mean, fairly recently, but uh, uh, editor, columnist of the Post, contributing at McLean's, contributing at TBO, and anyone else with a freelance budget out there, they know where to find me. Nice to have you here, Matt. Today, Today we are going to talk about Lord Black's triumphant and most noble vindication (laughs) and Justin Trudeau's new digital charter of rights, because it's 2019. It is 2019. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Marie Sitter, Court Peterson, Sarah Cowan, David Miller, Jacob Trenholm, Andrew Burke, George Berger, and Luke Hartung. Hi, I am Luke Hartung, and I live in uh, Gownstown, Ontario. I uh, work as an agronomist, and I also farm full-time as well. I support Canada Land for a number of reasons. I do really appreciate Jesse's transparent reporting, even though I don't always agree with him. And I've really enjoyed the transformation of Commons over the years into their investigative reporting. So thank you. And Matt, this episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by chicken and pear Waldorf salad with creamy green onion and yogurt dressing. Hmm. You cook for your kids? Not as much as I should, but occasionally. You cook a Waldorf salad for your kids? No, and I if I tried... You don't have to lie to me. Your kids are not going to eat chicken and pear Waldorf salad. My daughter honestly might, Yeah, and I'm not kidding. My son would throw it on the floor. <laughs> they also have family packs uh, at HelloFresh. You can choose. Do you want the vegetarian box sent to your home? Do you want the Pronto pack for grown-ups? Do you want 
the family pack, which I can say the kids actually eat everything. They're kind of curious to see what are you taking out of the box? What are you cooking? Even if it's like, it's sort of like the one instance where they will try something different because it's- It's a mystery. And you save a, a bunch of chores. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to figure out what the recipe is going to be. You don't have to throw out ingredients you don't use afterwards because it's all sent to your door. And you get 50% off because you listen to this podcast. So go to hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter CanadaLand50. That's CanadaLand50. Once again, that is hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand50. Promo code CanadaLand50. Time now for the ridiculous. In just a few weeks past Easter, President Trump is handing out pardons like a very large bunny who loves rotten eggs. The latest person worthy of executive clemency apparently is Conrad Black, billionaire Canadian turned U.S. felon, convicted for fraud, and hey, get this, obstruction of justice. What a quinky dink. So he has two strikes against him, but in the plus column, he is a personal friend of the president who clearly doesn't like talk of obstruction of justice. And he gets a little thumbs up from the president also because he recently wrote a hard-hitting expose of the Trump administration. I'm kidding. It was a total suck-up book. Matt? Well, it's hard to deny the title. Is he wrong about anything else? I think Anderson Cooper there is pretty strongly suggesting that the book that Conrad Black wrote about Donald Trump, and he doesn't even mention the dozens of columns just, just kissing Trump's ass in the pages of the National Post, one column after the next, exonerating, deification, glorification. Mm-hmm. Could that have something to do with Donald Trump pardoning? Uh... Look, I mean, as I said in my own column about this, I don't think anyone denies the obvious that this president seems to be unusually susceptible to flattery. I think that's how I phrased it. So, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if that was part of it. And <laughs> I suppose I'm cynical enough to then wonder, is that a point against Conrad or is this one of the most successful lobbying campaigns in recent history? I don't think anyone's contesting that like as gross and embarrassing and unseemly as it was, it, it seems to have worked. But your column seems to be finding fault with those who are kind of put out by this pardon. And here, what did you write? I wanted to see how many people lamenting Black's pardon bothered to consider or even mention whether the convictions he'd been imprisoned for were just in the first place. Put more bluntly, if you agree that the charges are bogus, or even grant that they might be bogus, but you still lament the pardon because you dislike Black, that says more about you than him. Mm -hmm. I am put out by the pardon, and I like Black, or Mm -hmm. I used to like Black. Are people wrong to be put out by what is just so obviously one billionaire power monger rewarding another former billionaire power monger for kissing his ass and giving him such a public ball washing for many years? I mean, shouldn't that disgust people? What I would say is that you, you've only put half the equation on the table. If, if you are someone, and look, I make a habit of never telling people what they should think or what, what they should believe, right? I don't care. I, I get my word every week. You, you can have yours. I would say this. If you think it's gross that he w- wrote the columns in the book, okay, that's, that's fine. But I, I just think it's interesting that a lot of people who would think Conrad is, is, well, an asshole, I mean, to put this bluntly, they don't like the guy, would probably actually agree with him on at least one issue, that the U.S. judicial system is a fucking disaster. 
And I think if you aren't willing to look at the issue of why he was in prison in the first place, because you just think it's gross, you have a right to that opinion. But sometimes the most effective allies are the ones you wouldn't normally expect to have. Can you think of one issue that is more off-brand with kind of the rest of the Conrad Black oeuvre, I guess we'd call it, than his position on justice reform? Oh, it's very much on-brand for Conrad Black, the felon, to be critical of the justice system. Did he give a damn about overcrowding in prisons or the problems of the criminal justice system before it targeted him? I don't know. And I mean, I did actually try to look at this. I went back as far in the archive as I could. And you didn't find anything before he had legal trouble where he actually gave a shit about this. No, but the or else pro- you would have put, had put it in your column. No, but the problem is it wasn't that I was I was finding a, a lack of them. The archive didn't go back far enough. Your column is like, wow, who would have thought that this conservative Connor Black would be such an advocate for the wrongly imprisoned and overcrowding? Mm. People aren't stupid. We know why he cares about no, that. No, I don't why think I... Why are you ex- pretending to be stupid? I didn't express any shock. I just noted the fact that he could be someone worth listening to in this issue. Yeah, obviously he has some skin in the game, and I acknowledge as much in the column. If you keep reading down, you quoted part of it. it is, there is an acknowledgement in there that while he was writing these things, he was either a convict or he was a recently released one. So that acknowledgement is there. You know, so, so I had um, a, a correspondent, we'll, we'll call him, a gentleman who had, who had read my column and was emailing me about it. And he really, really, really didn't like Conrad Black, with the exception of one thing. He also, he claimed was a former guest of the American judicial system. Uh-huh. And he said, the one thing I've always been able to agree with him on is that the system railroads people. So I guess you've got two votes from the former uh, alumni of the uh, U.S. penitentiary system that maybe it needs some work. You write about how, uh, this isn't about, like, going to be all about your column, but you kind of wrote what John K. wrote, which is like, you know, all these people who have it in for Conrad Black, they don't even understand the charges against him. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they just have some personal animus to this guy because they, they hate him for being rich or something like that. I have to take issue with it because because you make it about like, this is about justice and the charges weren't just. So in also in the post, to the post credit, the guy who prosecuted mm-hmm. Conrad Black wrote about what a mockery this made of yeah, the justice system. called a perversion of justice. Yeah. yeah. And, and he said, well, nothing puts the lie to this. Nothing betrays the mockery that President Trump has made of our justice system more than the fact that Black's co-defendants, Richard Boltby and Peter Atkinson, Canadians who were convicted by the same jury at the same trial of the same fraud crimes as Black, did not receive any pardon consideration. So the idea, which your column really suggests, that like these were bogus charges, he got a bad rap, and Trump is actually like doing justice now, as opposed to just doing a favor yeah. for his sycophant. It's obviously the latter, because he didn't bother to pardon the other two guys. What I would wonder, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not going to uh, come in here and pretend to be an expert on how the pardons work. I wonder what would happen, just in the abstract, what would happen if those guys had stuck to their guns and demanded it? Even without op-eds and, and, and books and whatnot, Black has done something that most people typically don't. He has never wavered in his own articulation of, of his defense. Now, he has the platform to do it, right? Most people don't have weekly columns. And not to, you mentioned his columns in the Post. Columns elsewhere as well. He also writes in U.S. publications. He writes overseas. And he, he has struck oh, yeah. a He's very similar tone throughout all of them. Yeah. to lobby for himself for an audience of one person yeah. to the detriment of his readers who like, I mean, if nothing else, I expect Conrad Black's columns to be interesting and fun to read. But my God, were these tedious. We obviously track the metrics on our columnists. There was no noticeable deviation when Conrad wrote about himself when he opposed to when he wrote about something else. Conrad, for better or worse, and I think your your mileage on that one will vary based on who you ask, 
he is a character. And I, I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, he's, he's a rascal. I mean this in the sense that he actually is like, he's a personality, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think people will read, love him or hate him. They're going to read what he has to say. If he's writing about, you know, the entire history of Europe or, you know, some, some facet of Canadian history, people will read that. If he's writing about himself, people are going to read that too. Some, and I say this as a guy who's looked at his traffic metrics, some of his most personally centric columns are his most read and widely shared. People are going to read him, says an editor of the National Post. Okay, look, this is this is what... C- correction, actually, I'll, I'll re- correct what I said. People do read him. I, yes, I read him too, but th- like, is that what the editor... Well, people are going to read this, I guess. I mean, yeah, we'll read, we'll read him. This is what he had to say. Donald Trump does have superhuman stamina, said Conrad Black to Ezra Levant, talking about Trump. He almost never sleeps. Trump works all the time. Even people who don't like him at all admit that he is astonishingly persevering and strong physically. Strong physically. That that one I had missed. Yeah. Let's talk about Conrad Black. He's your friend. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we're not close friends, but absolutely. Like, we've known each other a long time. We get, have a dinner or so a year. I've always liked the guy. And he was your boss? Never. Was he your boss's boss or you came in after that? My understanding, if I recall this correctly, and look, I could be wrong, but I think by the time I joined Post Media, he was simply a columnist. I don't think he had any actual day-to-day responsibility for the company. Okay. I mean, I know that he was thought of very fondly by a lot of people who worked there. I don't think they were were just kissing his ass. As much as you can be friends with somebody who, whether or not he has an official title, had incredible sway and could probably have anybody's job, you know, with a phone call if he wanted to. He's a powerful guy in that world, but people liked him and they liked hanging out with him. You know what? Let's talk about, it's fun to talk about Conrad Black. I agree that he's a character. like a cartoon tycoon, you know, and there's a lot of pleasure in Conrad Black and a lot of the people who like him benefited. I benefited. I got out of university right when the post was launching Mm -hmm. and that was super exciting. And, you know, it was really fusty, the Globe and Mail and the, you know, the the Toronto elites and and there was like a closed club of people. And here comes this paper that looked incredibly modern and stylish and they had money and it was bold. And at that time, the kind of rebellious point of view was coming from the right. It was where, Mm -hmm. where, you know, challenging and thumbing their nose at the powers that be from that position, but it didn't care if you were right or left. And there was a weekly magazine, the Saturday Night Magazine, like modeled after the New York Times Magazine, ran weekly in the post. And that meant that there were like big feature articles being assigned like crazy. And at the top of this was this larger than life figure. You know, this Conrad Black, very un-Canadian and like he was a delight because all the propriety and like, you know, the bourgeois kind of like trying to like make noises about being with the people, fuck that. He was living large. I'm not going to act like I was surprised to learn that he had his nose in the trough. Like if, if, if he was overspending company money, if he, if he was doing stuff improper, I'm not going to pretend that I'm scandalized, but that's what I expect that guy to be doing. That's the cartoon character. I was going to say, John K and I both wrote on this. You've read John's. I have. You're not going to bleep out John's name when I say it, right? Like the animosity is not at that level yet. It's not going to be like people listening. It's like you have read and call him, right? John K's name is spoken here with regularity. I imagine. And uh, so, okay. Yeah. So you, you've read his column then where he, he described uh, Conrad. And first of all, I like you were in the game before I was like, honest to God, when I, when I was hired, it was the understanding was this is going to be an amazing line on your resume one day because there's no way the paper's lasting. And this was like 12 years ago. So it was honestly, come in, work for us for a year. It's going to be a cool line on a resume and then you'll go do something else. So I did not get the, the, the glory days experience, right? Like, right, right. I, I was been not, on death watch for many, many years. Yeah, probably. And the entirety of, of my time there. 
So, but what John wrote in his column kind of about that era, which I thought was so interesting, was not just about the the paper itself, but the fact that Conrad, because you said, let's talk about him. He is in many ways, and I, I don't say this in, in, a, in a good or a bad way. I say this very neutrally. He's a little bit of a man out of time, right? Well, first of all, in his personal styling, he obviously was trying to evoke some bygone era of like, you know, Citizen Kane-like, you know, it was very... I think it's very self-conscious the way he puts himself together. And then, yeah, he was like of Rupert Murdoch's stature. He was leading a international newspaper chain. Sure, Telegraph in, and in sometimes. The, a, a gilded yeah. age. And this is what I fault him for. I don't fault him for doing the expected, as I said, and overspending. I fault him for getting caught. I fault him for playing the Game of Thrones and he lost, right? He had his uh, colleagues and, and, and his friends betray him. He got caught on camera smuggling papers out. That, you know, he says, okay, it was my own building. And those, that, that was not a good move. What, what, by his own rules, and why I think he's a big baby complainer whiner now, <laughs> is that by his own rules, he's a loser. And, and by his own rules, and the things that I liked about him as this high-flying tycoon, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Even like, as a Canadian, and saying, wow, a figure like this, we need more larger than life figures in Canada. Mm -hmm. A figure like this, let them mock him. He's making it happen. He's creating opportunities for me and other people. He's putting a lot of voices out there. And the National Post that Conrad Black founded like 20 years ago would be embarrassed by the National Post of today. It would be embarrassed to run Conrad Black's columns, to, to, to actually purpose a newspaper space towards one person's lobby effort to get themselves pardoned would not be something that the Post would have ever considered in those early days. To censor someone like Andrew Coyne, as the Post did during the last uh, election, is not something that the, that the early Post would ever have done. To hand over editorial space to sponsors, to the petroleum industry. Like, the Post now is a... Is, is a a shadow of what it was and what Conrad Black dreamed it to be. And maybe if he wasn't looting the environs, which like, according to the courts, he was, maybe he would have been in a better position to save it. Maybe you would still be working at the National Post in, in, in a grand capacity and everyone else who got laid off would also be like... Let, let me say this. You shouldn't said, a tycoon be rich and, and powerful? <laughs> shouldn't a media tycoon have a media empire? But you said to me, why are you pretending to be stupid? So I'm going to return the question to you. Why are you pretending that the fate of a media empire the size of Post Media hinges on Conrad Black's personal wealth as opposed to the obliteration of the entire traditional economic model? Like, if you want to make criticism of the paper, I'm not. I'm not here speaking on their behalf, but I mean, we we can do that. But the idea that the only thing standing between like an economic reckoning that has come for the entire industry and us was Conrad. He's a character. He's not that much of a character, right? Look, it, the newspaper industry collapsing would have happened with or without Conrad Black at the helm. Would the National Post be begging the government for money? If Conrad Black was running the thing, like, I kind of wanted to see how that story was going to end with that guy doing the thing, you know? So I'm happy to get him on his own by the, by the game he was playing on the sword that he was going into battle with. He, he fucked up. He lost. His life is a tragedy. This is no vindication that Trump pardoned him. I mean, come on. This is, this is just like a quid pro quo. And people are right to be disgusted by it. It's exactly what you'd expect. Do you think he cares about any, any of that? If you're him, like he's only living his life for him, right? Like it's fun for other people to talk about it and get the, get their columns and their op-eds done. There's no way he's not self-aware of this larger than life persona yeah. and the, the kind of parody of loquaciousness in his grand, I'm Lord Black of Cross Harbor. Like it's, it's like, it's ludicrous, but it's fun. The other thing that must be said about your friend is that your friend's a racist. You know, your friends are racist and, and your racist friend is a problem. And, and this is also why I have to check myself because I enjoy him. I enjoy him when I see him sparring 
with uh, with Paxman, and he's just like able to endure a discussion like this without getting up and smashing your face in, which is what most people would do if they'd been through what I have been. Well, you go ahead and do no, you? No, you, no, you, I don't believe like, in violence. Do you expect to be able to retain your seat in the House of Lords as well? Well, why, why not? I'm not an, under because you're a convicted criminal. First of all, there is not a prohibition on a convicted criminal sitting in that house. But you don't really believe that a man who's done time in prison should be able to f help frame the laws of a country, do you? Sure. We don't see people like that talking like that and defending themselves like that and just the, the fun he has with being a... You know, I enjoy him as much as anyone, but he used his unique position to say whatever he wants to attack indigenous people again and again. I didn't even, and I didn't notice it. It wasn't until Robert Jago, who contributes yeah. to Candleland now and, and again brought it to our attention and wrote about it for us. I said, wow, imagine if I was like a member of a group who'd never got, very rarely got access to newspaper space. And you've got this guy and he's like an amateur historian. Like it's all ahistorical and the editors are not qualified to check this stuff about how essentially a manifest destiny pro-colonization argument that when we came to Canada, Europeans, we found a bunch of savages ripping each other's heads off who hadn't barely out of the stone age, which is not true. And he said it again and again and again. Not true in what way? I mean, the technology level, they, they weren't much out of the stone age in terms of technology. The the problem is when we talk about Stone Age, people assume that technology and culture is synonymous. Why are we reading Conrad Black giving his analysis of what technology level indigenous people were at, which obviously he's presenting as a justification for the genocide that took place? I mean, like, why, why is Conrad Black? And this is why I, I, I'm conflicted at saying, like, oh, he's droll, he's amusing. It's sort mm -hmm. of like, Clancy, regale us with your story about how the Jews control everything. Like, who the fuck is this guy to be the person who gets published on these topics in, in a country that until very recently and still not enough was just completely ignoring indigenous voices in our press. That was like, he did harm. He did harm to Bruce Livesey. And this is also the Conrad Black who launched newspapers, launching a libel claim against a reporter who merely republished court findings because he didn't like the fact that, Con he, that, that Conrad Black was disparaged in the court findings. And Conrad Black came at him with a libel suit, which he later fizzled out, didn't even fight it. It was a libel chill suit. To show, he, was a, he was a bully. So your friend hurts people, you know? And it's got to be said. I'm not, I'm not coming at you or trying to shame you for being friends with the guy. But, it, but I, I, I do feel like when he comes up and we, he's one of those figures who like, we have a lot of them. Like Trump gets the same thing. He comes up, you got to smile because he's this cartoon character that makes people kind of smile. Mm -hmm. You know, Ford, you know, like, but these are kind of, these guys do shitty things that hurt people. What I think interesting, and it's, you've, you've asked the question is like, what, why is, Conrad writing about about history, or why is he writing about this? What should he be writing about? And I'm oh. not, I don't, I'm not trying to say like I know it's kind of like a cheap response here, but I mean I mean that very sincerely. You've obviously read the guy enough. What interests you when he writes about it? Like when do you sit back and go, "This is a Lord Black column. I'm going to sit down and read because this is what I want to hear from him." First of all, it doesn't surprise me that he's writing about history. He had a lot of time on his hands, and he's got uh, a vision of himself as a man of letters. Why we would publish him on that was my question. Why newspapers, why is this the guy who's going to write about the history of indigenous peoples in North America? That, that's what doesn't make sense to me. What do I like reading about him? I like I like my Conrad Black taking shots at the Canadian establishment. He's really yeah. good at it. He's a really good uh, antithesis to the, the, the type of smarmy, smug Canadian uh, privilege. Well, you know, okay, that, but that's, do you I mean, not that's, that's see my the contradiction in what you've just said, though? 
Because a lot about when he's, oh, he's been, very qualified to write about that. No, no, no. But when he's been writing about uh, of late, particularly in, indigenous issues and reconciliation issues, he's taking shots at the Canadian establishment, a Canadian establishment that has wrapped itself up in the blanket of reconciliation as long as it doesn't require anything more than a land acknowledgement, like actually fixing the water filtration systems. We don't have time for that, but we'll do the land acknowledgement. A lot of what Conrad has been writing about, particularly on indigenous issues, and I, I honestly can't. If you I, think that's a pro-indigenous argument. No, I, no, I'm not, and I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if you like him when he's taking shots at the, the Canadian uh, comfortable Laurentian consensus, and you don't think that's going to involve shots at the current debate or discussion about Indigenous issues, have you not been paying attention to what one of the cheapest, easiest talking points has become among the comfortable Laurentian elites you'd like to see him antagonizing? I just question what we, why we publish him on, on what subjects. And, and I, and I, I just feel like we got to, despite this, this last round of, uh, in the post, I mean, relentlessly, uh, vindication, like a Phoenix from the ashes, Lord Black's, you know, comes back. This is a sad ending. It's going to be, it's, it's ultimately going to be, uh, it's a sad ending to the Conrad Black story. I would guess that if he could mulligan his life, it would probably go differently, but based on how things went for him. I've got to assume that this is the best ending he could have hoped for. <laughs> Which is so sad. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Macron, you've never been on the show before, but you know how the show works. You know that we note duly things that need to be duly noted. I, I do know that, and I have brought things to duly note. Note, duly? I don't oh. know. I don't I, I fumbled that, but yes, I know what you're talking about. I think about. that was good for a first try. What do you have for us today? <laughs> the one the one thing that I would say, and this is right up my wheelhouse, and I'm not convinced it's going to be particularly up your listeners, but this is what I woke up this morning excited about. Did you see last night that uh, the Coast Guard is getting two new ships? 
I did not see that, no. You want to know what the funniest thing about this is? I, I've written a lot about military procurement in Canada, and you're probably already thinking, fuck, why did I ask him about this? <laughs> what we have just done is ordered two new ships, not because there's a military need for them, but because jobs for the middle class. There was going to be, just as we head into this election year at a shipyard out in eastern Canada, there was going to be uh, layoffs because we've completed one round of construction. We're getting set to build some new ships, but we're not ready yet. We're a couple of years away from being able to do that. So the government has gone out and decided that the Coast Guard needs these ships and we're going to keep building them 100% to avoid layoffs. And what I did- Is your analysis or is what they're saying? Well, I mean, both. I mean, yeah. the, the company had been saying since we've just wrapped up, like uh, the Navy just finished getting six or will will soon be getting six patrol ships, smaller ships for coastal stuff and, and patrol of the Arctic. And we don't need more than six. Like that's what was agreed upon. But the shipyard finished building those before we're ready to start on that $60 billion heavy warship project. So the government is like, okay, we'll get two more. And since the Navy doesn't need them, we'll give them to the Coast Guard. And the reason I know this is, and I want to move this away from the military procurement stuff before sure. we lose the entirety of the listenership, but have we not learned any lessons in Ottawa about what can happen when we start gaming, like shipbuilding stuff in the immediate lead up to an election? And I'm, I'm not alleging, huh. in, I'm, not, okay. I'm not alleging impropriety because there doesn't yeah. seem to be any of that, right? But No, you're calling bullshit on the Trudeau government for doing a make work job to avoid a bad press day uh, of uh, having to lay off a bunch of people. Does it sound at all familiar? Yeah. Like if you've been paying attention to the news cycle lately, I was joking with a colleague this morning. Imagine... If your daily commuting vehicle was a fucking tank mm -hmm. because the government was worried that we were running out of tank production and we needed to keep that line going. So we're like, well, you know what? You can have an SUV, you can have a station wagon, or you can have an armored fighting vehicle because we got to keep those jobs going. That is how weird our government is when it comes to actually procuring big stuff. You want to know why we can't ever buy anything on time and on budget? It's because our military procurement system in this country is not about providing equipment to the armed forces. It's a jobs creation program. If we actually called it the National Fence Job Creation Program, we, we'd think it was the best one in the world. Conservative pundit takes a stand against government welfare to the military. Absolutely. Or, or, or in favor of the military. Duly noted. I'd like to duly note that the slow moving train wreck that is the government media bailout continueth. They have just named how they're going to put together the independent body that's going to determine who's a qualified journalist and who isn't. Yeah. And so I haven't actually read it yet. Tell me what so it is. Here it is. I mean, it was going to be like, okay, are you like, are you going to name individuals? It's going to be like the government is going to, you know, the same way that they put people on the CBC's board. Yep. It's like, okay, it's arm's length. We're just, we're just, uh, I mean, yes, we're for putting conservatives because we're the conservative government, but you know, then they can do what they want. So no, they're, 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 they're not naming individuals. They're naming organizations. And those organizations, like press bodies or councils and stuff, yeah, etc. And and then they will each select a person to sit there, and you'll go and say, "Please, I am a qualified journalist. Give me media sub, give me uh, government subsidies." Yeah. So the organizations are News Media Canada, 
previously called Newspapers Canada, a newspaper yeah. lobby group, the Quebec Community Newspaper Association, newspaper group, the National Ethnic Press and Media Council of Canada. I think that's a newspaper group. I think it's a bit of an umbrella, but yeah. Yeah, I guess have, it gets media, but, yeah. but but I think the ethnic press in Canada is largely, there's a bit of broadcast in there, yeah. but it's largely a lot of newspapers. Mm -hmm. So then you've got l'Association de la Presse Francophone. I'm sorry, everybody. The Canadian Association of Journalists, the Fédération Professionnelle des Journalistes du Québec, UNIFOR, the Union, and Fédération Nationale de Communication. So there's a heavily, mm -hmm. four of the eight groups are from French Canada. Yeah. A lot of union representation there. Which jobs in media are unionized, which ones aren't? Old media jobs are unionized, new media jobs largely are not. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got a whole bunch of newspaper groups there. This is, uh, it, it's capture. There's, a, there's a, essentially a majority of voices are old media newspaper voices, regardless of who they put on. Well, what you've done, and I mean, this is, I don't, this is not me chirping my, my uh, proud post media colleagues, but what you've done is you've put Unifor in the position of advocating for the Sun Media. Where, you know, like probably there would not normally be a ton of convergence between, let's say, editorial priorities. Mm -hmm. But now Unifor is going to be 100% balls out advocating for the Toronto Sun. Oh, yeah. You, the, the, you conservative journalists are union represented and government subsidized. Uh, uh, I'm it, not, but some of my colleagues sure, are. Sure, sure. Yes. It's a, uh, it's the libertarian paradise that Conrad Black envisioned to come to life. Well, it's, I, th I think it's a dystopian vision that none of us saw coming. And, yeah. and one of the things I thought was so weird about it was the way that broadcast was excluded, right? Because I, I'm not just saying this as, as, a, as a former broadcast guy, though, shout out to, to my, to my buddies at, at the different places I've worked. When you make it explicitly about newspapers, you take all of the original problems that you had identified and that it will become incestuous, it will become very cozy, it will be stifling to innovation. You take that and you put it up in order of magnitude. Like probably the newspapers in this country are the, are the places most in need of rejuvenation and you've actually put every possible effort into making it almost impossible to do that. So there's every chance, every chance that I will benefit directly or indirectly from this yeah. financially in some way. And I think it is a terrible idea. I think that, uh, I don't know, it's a shit show in five different ways. I mean, all of the broadcast organizations that are being left out of this also do newspaper articles on the internet. They just don't have any paper associated mm -hmm. with them, you know? And then I don't know what happens if, if Andrew Scheer gets in because he's been against this and he also wants to gut the CBC. We're either going to have all of the media subsidized in Canada or none of it. Or none of it. If the liberals are, are reelected, it's going to be this media bailout for the newspapers and CBC at its current funding level. And if Andrew Scheer wins, he's going to gut CBC news and he's going to kill the media subsidies and nothing is going to be funded. And, and something else is because we're, we're spinning dystopian hypotheticals right now. We, we've acknowledged the broadcast guys are excluded, right? Like the uh, the radio companies or the TV co uh, companies. They arguably already which, get subsidized in their own in way. Different, in different ways. No, yeah. absolutely. But what they're going to do now is if this newspaper, like if, if Trudeau wins and the newspaper bailout happens and if it rolls out, what's going to happen? How long do you think it's going to take for the guys at Chorus and Bell and Rogers and uh, the, the, the Quebec equivalents to all sit down and go, we got to start lo lobbying here. Now, you're right. They already do get, you know, uh, CanCon subsidies and stuff like that. But they are going to put together a, a massive lobbying effort to go, why are the newspapers getting 600 million bucks while, while we're getting nothing? And every layoff of a technical producer, a camera person, all of them are going to become part of the publicity campaign to push a reelected liberal government into rolling out another bailout. They have politicized the media and they've like in a way that uh, is, is, is bad for our independence. Duly noted. Matt, the collision 
tech conference is happening mere blocks away from us here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Listen, I've, I've stood on these stages. I'd be there if they invited me, okay? I could have gone as press, but I don't know. I'm busy. This isn't important. What's important is that uh, Justin Trudeau will not miss an opportunity to get on a stage at a tech conference and show mm -hmm. how techy he is. It used to be to lock arms with Facebook and Google yeah. and say, these are my buddies, um, innovation, innovation. And now the winds are blowing in the opposite direction and the world is talking about antitrust and regulating and cracking down. And this is where Trudeau has announced the digital charter for Canada. Mm -hmm. What do you make of it? I would, I would note two things and they're, they're related, but, but, but separate. The first one is we have been having a parallel conversation, uh, about, you know, disinformation about fake news, about the weaponization of social media, about, you know, the threat it might pose either inertly through our own stupidity or deliberately through malicious bad actions to democracy. Yeah. And I look at, I, I look through at least what's been published so far about the digital charter and it's all about privacy stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. I mean, we've all been reading about like the, the, the data breaches or the misuse of information that F Facebook and some of the other giants has had. So I'm not, I don't, I don't want for one second to suggest that that doesn't matter. Canada's privacy laws I was reading in the, in the Globe this morning haven't really been updated in like 20 years. That's true. Do you remember how you were using the internet in 1999? I think I had MSN and probably Netscape and I didn't, I know for a fact I didn't have high speed internet yet. So think about it, that's the era we're going back to and we haven't updated our privacy laws. But it just struck me as odd that on the one hand, we're like, well, there's two threats that Facebook poses potentially to us. The destruction of democracy as we know it and privacy rights. And we went for the second one first. It just struck me as they were off in what their priority was. But the, the other point that I, I would make is that have you ever seen a government, well, at least a Canadian government, not fuck up? an internet initiative. I mean, when you think about like, I'm going to, I'm going right, to, that's better. Yeah. I'm going to rattle off a couple here, just top of mind, not all, all of right. them recent, the long gun registry, right? Which should never have been anything more than basically a database of entries was full of screw ups of just erroneous data. Cause the government in the late nineties didn't know how to build a database, even though we'd been doing it for cars for yeah. decades. E it, had, it, had, it had water guns on the list. It had their. It, uh, the, it would have the same gun listed multiple gun, potato times. Guns, potato guns. Potato guns. You know, cheese guns. Just impressive muscles. Yeah. Guns. Yeah, guys, yeah, that's it. Um, Ripped. Yeah. E-Health e in Ontario. Yeah. Total fucking Ooh, debacle. That wasn't good. The Phoenix pay system. Yeah. The, these are the guys we're going to go tell the big data giants of the world. We're going to tell them how to, how to yeah, run their business. Yeah. You know what? I think I argued that for years whenever the government would, you know, get angry at the tech companies. It yeah. felt to me like, and as a tech journalist at the time, I, I regret how I basically told the government my, my, in my analysis and uh, my role as a pundit to say, ah, the government doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. They should just let these companies do it. hasn't worked out well. And I no, like, no, yeah, 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 no. I mean, yes, it's true that they were incompetent. It's true that they did not understand the technology that they were criticizing. But when Jennifer Stoddart, the privacy commissioner of Canada yep. at the time was raising warning signs about Facebook, she was right. Yeah, she was. She right. was. No, but I, I, you're not wrong. I don't disagree with that, but I'll, I'll say this to you. This is something I've always said. You always hear, oh, we're rolling out the new encryption or or this website is proof against hacking, you just know 18 months later, it's going to be, well, 100 million user accounts of tech widget whatever have now been hacked. Because in the arms race between the people who are trying to breach systems and the people who are trying to protect systems, I'm always on the side of the hackers. They're always going to win. I always think in a digital domain, offense will win. 
And when we take a look at this, these big data companies are by necessity probably doing things so fantastically complex. You're a former tech guy. When when did when do you think you stop following tech as a as a day to day thing? Oh, how out of date would your knowledge be? I, I am not a technologist. I covered tech policy, so I stopped covering the tech policy about six years ago. Let's. What do you think has been the progress in those six years? How long would you need to spend getting up to speed to jump back into it? If for whatever reason you were going to. <laughs> A good week-long crash course, uh, and I could fake my way through it. Uh, Well, that's – all right. How long would it take a bureaucrat to do it? Yeah. No, I've spoken to bureaucrats about this stuff, and it's scary how little they know. It's it's almost as scary as uh, sitting in a room of media bosses and hearing them talk about (laughs) copyright and tech policy. It's just going to be like the idea that we're going to have effective police. No, no, I think the the government has to regulate these things. So so, so we need younger legislators, and there are people who who care about tech – because tech policy is public policy. I know a bunch of the people who got involved with urban planning or policy initiatives because yeah. they come from a tech background. So there, there are people who understand this stuff. And I think that one of the things that it looks like Trudeau wants to do, which is actually give some power to the privacy commissioner. Yeah. That's a good thing that is long overdue. So th- there's no question that this is a effort to kind of like polish off his uh, resume as a tech leader. Uh, you know, fine. There's an election coming. We understand that. But it, it, they need to be taking a stronger stand. Even if, I'm, if I've, I have a cynical uh, attitude towards why they're doing it now and they should have done it earlier. Mm-hmm. And look who it's coming from. The same people who are kind of part of the problem very recently, but they do need to be doing it. And we do need to start talking about antitrust and, and, and absolutely privacy is something that you're so what if hackers are going to be one step ahead, hackers are, are, you know, at least the kind of hackers that we're talking about are criminals. Yeah. It's Facebook following the law is fucking up our democracy. Let me put it to you this way: You've said you're cynical about the motives. I am too. I'm cynical about the outcome. I'm going to ask you an honest to God question here. What would we have to do to either empower government or weaken the tech giants so that it would be even close to an equal playing field? I think- Equal playing field between who? Western governments generally. The Canadian one we're talking about now. But if we're going to regulate the, the tech sector in this way, I think the knowledge gap is so massive that there is no way we'll be able to effectively do it without – you've already mentioned antitrust. Maybe if we start breaking them down yes. into much, much smaller don't, units. Don't – this is baffle gap. Oh, it's, it's, it's above our heads because it's tech and tech is so complicated. No. You've got classic monopolies where the same people providing the platforms are selling all the ads on those platforms. Where the mm-hmm. same people – like, you know, they're controlling the entire industries. It's no different than the movie industry owning the theater and also making the movies. You know, like it's just anti-consumer stuff that pushes out competition. You break up the businesses. That, that's not a technological question. That's just a governance question. No, but you, before but before you're going to be able to break up a business in a logical way, you've got to have someone in government who understands the business. Y- yes, we need – yeah. I, I think the, a basic level – we're in agreement that a basic level of tech literacy. Let's 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 end with this. In, in, the, the immediate impact to, to Trudeau announcing this new digital action strategy plan, whatever, is that Faith Goldie deleted all of her tweets. Canada has announced a new digital censorship charter in which big tech will be forced to ban quote unquote hate, wherein the term is not defined. Censorship is the most pressing battle we face and Canada is at the front lines. Screenshots can be doctored. Winking emoji. If the immediate impact of this is that Faith Goldie deleted her Twitter presence. Presence or her prior tweets? Her prior tweets, uh, what she'll be doing in the future, uh, and we'll be tweeting uh, with this in mind in the future. Maybe it's not such a bad thing. I mean, deleting the evidence, isn't that what the Nazis did? Uh, In the final days? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they tried. I don't know how well it worked. (laughs) 
That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Matt Gurney, where can people find you? Uh, at Matt Gurney. Find them on Twitter. Go to our website, canadalandshow.com. There is an oppo up, and it is going through all of the current federal election campaign ads. It's fascinating, and it's interesting to see how the parties try to figure out what message is going to resonate, how should we position these people. The early days are kind of the most interesting, and uh, on this week's oppo, they go through all the ads, and it's uh, kind of cringeworthy. This episode is produced by Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to support us, we have things we would like to give you. And one of those is access to ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. We count on your support and you can give it to us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Please do. There's an election coming up in the fall, and you may have noticed that Canadian politics has gotten a little bit bonkers recently. I mean, there's the SNC-Lavalin affair. Nazis are back now, I guess. There's Jason Kenney's civil war. Doug Ford is blowing up Ontario, and apparently PEI is now powered by fish. The point is, so much crazy shit is happening right now that it can be hard to keep up. That's why we're here. As the election looms, our podcast, Oppo, will keep you informed about the week in Canadian politics. Along the way, we're going to be speaking to Canada's top politicians, a whole bunch of the bottom ones, and everybody in between. So listen to Oppo for all the twists and turns as the election comes. That is O-P-P-O, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. 